Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Welcome, everybody, to today's podcast. I'm Hayden Bullock, your host, and today we are very fortunate to have Samantha Errett with us. Samantha is a physical therapist with Pediatric Developmental Therapy. Samantha actually recently did another podcast with us about our bike camp this year. So welcome back, Samantha. Hi, thank you so much. I kind of told everybody you're a physical therapist, so I sort of stole your thunder there. But why don't you describe to our audience who's listening all the stuff that you do, like the various places you go and the types of ages of children you work with and that kind of thing. Sure. Like Hayden said, I'm a physical therapist and I work at our outpatient clinic. And then I also work at the Children's Center, which is birth to five. So I get that typical age range there. And the diagnoses range from children with Down syndrome, children with high tone, children with low tone, just a good variety. And then at our outpatient clinic, I see anywhere from babies all the way to, I think I have a 15-year-old right now. Really? So again, I get a really good variety. Again, lots of different diagnoses. So I get a good mix here. Yep. And then the Samantha also has the opportunity and everybody else who works with you has the opportunity of working very closely with speech and occupational therapists and teachers and parents and that kind of thing. So your role encompasses a lot of service delivery in a lot of different places and service delivery with other therapists and various kiddos and all kinds of good stuff. Yes, it's a lot of collaboration because everyone's working on the same team, achieving Mm -hmm. the same goal to help the kids to their max potential. So it's really important that we all communicate with each other. Yeah, that's what we do. Amen. All right. (laughs) Good deal. And so recently... Samantha did a class for all of us at PDT, though I think it was attended predominantly by physical and occupational therapists, of course, because it makes sense after you all hear the name of it. But she did a what we call a lunch and learn. It's just like an opportunity for our therapists to get together and we have a speaker and they teach on a particular topic. And Samantha led one about a month ago for us called Evaluation Skills for Children with Torticollis. I don't think I said the title of the class exactly right, Samantha, but basically that's what it was, correct? Mm -hmm. So the class was called Getting the Picture, Assessing and Treating Common Pediatric Patients. Mm -hmm. And in this class, four different topics were discussed. It was Mm -hmm. torticollis, prematurity, hypotonia, and hypertonia. And so we're going to split it up into different lunch and learns for each month. And so I covered the torticollis aspect of it. Right. So we have a series going on right now. Yes. So even though I messed the title up royally, I didn't mess the subject matter up. <laughs> that was up. my title. <clears throat> That's right. <laughs> well, well, that was good. <laughs> so basically, you covered torticollis in this first mm-hmm. And okay. I just want to give credit to Michelle Linehan. Mm-hmm. She was the presenter of the course. So all this information came from her. So I just want to give her the... There. Yeah. So you went to a class and was like, oh my gosh, this is the best stuff since sliced bread. And then from this, we just sort of developed a series of lunch and learns and you took the first topic. Yes. And and the class that you went to, the speaker was Michelle Linehan, right? Yes. Okay. Definitely we should give credit where credit's due. And then and like somebody I heard say, you know, you get ideas from all kinds of different places and different people and stuff, and then you have to take them and adapt them and make it your own. So it's always good to give credit back to who you learned it from, but then also right. recognize the fact that you have to take it and adapt it and use it. So now it's some of mm-hmm. yours. So this class, our lunch and learn was all you, even though the information came from Michelle. So when you did this class Where do you start an evaluation for a child with torticollis? Like, what's the first thing you look at? How do you begin your assessment? 
So when I begin my assessment personally, I take my hands off the kid and Mm -hmm. I just put them in different positions, like on their back, on their stomach, sitting, Mm -hmm. and I just observe how they're positioned. Because I feel like you get a lot of your information just by watching the child. Mm -hmm. And then you go in with your hands and that's when you get a further in-depth information on your observation. Yep. And a key part to the class was the PIC assessment tool that was described to us. And that's an observational tool. Mm -hmm. And it's just broken up into a chart with the different positions as your column. And then the rows, P stands for posture and positions. The I is initiation. And the Q is quality. So then you go through your chart and you look at them in supine position. And Mm -hmm. then how are they positioned? What can they do? What can't they do? And then you go through each one. So I feel like that's a really great tool to just kind of organize your observations. I think that's great because I believe every good evaluation starts with observation. And I feel the push sometimes when I'm doing a speech eval is to jump right in the middle of it and get my hands in there and just sort of start doing, doing, doing. But I've had to learn through the years that the best evaluations happen for myself when I observe first and then do Mm -hmm. second. And I love that whole PIQ. That's awesome. So it's sort of a formal way to help you observe. Yes. And so then the positions that you observe in are, you said supine, are there others? Mm -hmm. So it's supine, prone, Mm -hmm. sitting, standing, quadruped, and kneeling. And we are dealing with babies, right? Yes. So for the most part, I look at supine, prone, and sitting. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But it goes on. So this tool is not just used for torticollis. Okay. It's used in assessing any kid with any diagnosis. So you just tailor it to the positions that you really want to get the most information on. Mm -hmm. So for, just like you said, torticollis is mostly babies. So it's more so the supine, prone, and sitting. Okay. But then when she taught the class, you use that PIC model for, or that PIQ model for all the different assessments. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. I'm with you. Okay. So for your babies, you're looking at them in supine, prone, sitting. So when you observe them in these positions, then what are you looking for? How they move, how they... Mm -hmm. So in the class, I broke down what you look for with each one. So again, posture is just how are they positioning? Mm -hmm. Specifically with torticollis, do they have a head tilt? Are they Mm -hmm. rotated to one side? Things like that. For the initiation, it's things, what can they do? So you're looking at what movements do they initiate? Can they rotate and reach for a toy? What parts of their body are they using? And then what can't they do? What are they stuck in? Do they have difficulty rolling because they lack neck strength? Do they have difficulty with transitions because they don't have the balance for that? And then quality is how do they do the movement? Do they only use ones that are of their body? Do they only roll to one side? Mm -hmm. So those are different things that you want to specifically look at in terms of torticollis. Quality and quantity. And then what can they do and what can't they they do? do? What can't they do? And Mm -hmm. then how do they do it? I love it. Mm -hmm. You can use that for any assessment, Samantha. That's great. Okay. So why don't you define torticollis for us? You know, are they born with torticollis or is that something that happens after birth? Mm -hmm. Can you just do a quick overview for us with that? Sure. Well, torticollis means twisted neck. And also seen with torticollis is plagiocephaly, Mm -hmm. which means oblique head. And that pretty much is the flattening of the head. And since the back to sleep program that started in 1992, there's been a decrease in SIDS. However, there's been an increase in torticollis and plagiocephaly Mm. just because babies spend a lot more time on their back now. And torticollis, there can be different causes as to why a child might get torticollis. It could be due to malpositioning when they're in the uterus. It could be an ischemic event or it could be birth trauma. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of different causes and it's really important to identify 
the root cause of the torticollis so that you know how to treat it effectively. And so when you say birth trauma, like give me an example, like if a a baby was born using forceps or something, is that what you meant? Um, Yeah. Also, if they get stuck during the delivery Mm -hmm. process, Mm -hmm. I have one child now that has torticollis and brachial plexus injury just because they got stuck on the delivery and then it impacted their nerves in their arm and then also their neck position. And then could a car seat cause torticollis if you're positioning a baby wrong in a car seat for an extended period of time? Would that be Um, something? It could lead to torticollis. Mm. I wouldn't say it would cause it just because it's all about the positioning. Um, But if a baby is in the car seat 24-7 with their head tilted to the side, that muscle will get tight. You just have to work on positioning them properly. Gotcha. And it's all about catching it early. Right. So do you, and I may be jumping ahead. So if I am, then just excuse me, we'll get back on track. But so do you look at the baby when they're positioned in the car seat during an assessment? Is that part of your assessment? Yep. A lot of the times the babies come in in their car seat Mm -hmm. and then I can easily identify what side torticollis it is based on their neck position. Mm -hmm. And then I educate the families on how to position them in midline in that car seat. Mm -hmm. Again, making sure all safety precautions are taken and letting them know not to do anything while the car seat's in motion in the car. Right. But whenever they're carrying the child to the grocery store, just prop a blanket to the side of the tilt to kind of bring them back to midline. So it's a lot of education there. Yep. I always call those car seats a bucket. I always tell my kids, I'm like, okay, they're in the bucket. And <laughs> I don't know why I call them a bucket, but they really are. If you think about it, it they're in like a bucket. There's a handle and it's like a hole. And so <laughs> it's always that they're in the bucket. But you know, when I started to think about it with my last baby, it took me four of them to start to figure this out. But anyway, but with the fourth one, I'm like, daggone, he's not in that bucket a lot. You know, if you think about mm-hmm. it in the car, but then also in the grocery cart. And with my youngest, I had other ones. So I was carpooling a lot. And so if you're the pickup line at school and that kind of thing, that's why I the question about the car seat and if that could be one of the things that might lead to torticollis is because if you add up the number of hours some of these babies are in car seats I mean just because of life it's a long time Mm -hmm. and it's all about educating them educating them on tips as to how to keep them in midline Mm. and again being in the car seat they're on their back and so they're the back of their head is still getting that flat spot So it's all about balance, too. Yeah, I could see that was a problem with them in their bucket too long. Anyway, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So, Samantha, now talk to us a little bit about the different types of torticollis. Are there different types of torticollis? I'm sure not every baby is the same. So how do you know who you're working with? So this was a big chunk of the course with the torticollis component that Mm -hmm. I learned the most from. Mm -hmm. Because normally when a kid comes in and they have a diagnosis of torticollis, I automatically think, oh, they have a tight muscle. I know just to stretch and strengthen them. Right. Well, it turns out from this course, there's six different things that could lead to torticollis. Hmm. So it's really important to be able to identify what contributed to the torticollis so that you know how to treat it. There's different types. One that's just positioning. So it has nothing to do with the tight muscle. It's just the child likes to sleep with their head turned. So if you get it early, then you can just kind of reteach the child to sleep with their head to both directions so that they're not stuck to one side. But if you don't catch it early enough, then it could result to that tight muscle, which is where you see the child come in for therapy. So what's that called? So that's the plagiocephaly without synestosis. Hmm. So that's just based on positioning. So there's no changes in the muscle. It's just how they like to sleep. You just treat it with having them sleep to both sides, stretching them, just kind of preventing that muscle from getting tight. Is this where, and I've only just gleaned this from being around enough of you all, is this where you like tell the parents to put different things on different sides of the crib or maybe chew Mm -hmm. with the other hand instead of like maybe chewing on their left hand, they chew on their right, for example, something like that? Yeah. See, I'm 
all that is hanging out with PTs. I don't, I can't do anything with it except for like, Hey, look, <laughs> but I've been paying attention through the years. Okay. So that plagiocephaly without stenosis, that's a very formal way of saying various positions caused the torticollis or yes. contributed to the torticollis. Okay. Osteotorticollis. That would seem like a very easier, quick one to treat. Are those babies sort of in and out pretty fast? Yes. Cause usually? again, there's no muscular change. It's gotcha. just how they're positioned. So it's just a big home exercise program and mm-hmm. just check in with them to make sure that everything's evening out. Gosh, yes. I bet you can look like the hero very quickly yes. in that situation. They're <laughs> a nice little treat to have. That's, right. That's <laughs> right. That's nice. And then I can just imagine a mom who probably like first baby, you know, or dad or caregiver, whoever it is, being very stressed out and worried and then be like, oh, just, you know, move the head this way and position mm-hmm. this way. And like, poof, yay, poof. It's all better. All right. So give me another type. So that's the positioning one. What's next? Yep. So there's also plagiocephaly with synostosis. Mm. And synostosis is the early closure of the skull sutures. Mm. And typically they close between 12 and 18 months. So if you see them close earlier, that could be a problem with increased pressure. It could impact their vision and hearing. Mm. And it also impacts the shape of their head. So their head ends up being shaped like a trapezoid. Their ear is um, positioned posteriorly. And the length of their face might be smaller than the width of their face. And this one often requires surgery. So it's really important that whenever you're assessing a child with torticollis to feel the sutures in the skull, Mm -hmm. just to make sure that they're still open so that we don't run into that problem. Gotcha. So that one's a lot harder to fix. (laughs) Yeah. So have you noticed like when you're having these babies, when the pediatrician or whoever's referring them, have they usually identified the various causes of the torticollis or is that something they're looking for the physical therapist to help them with? They normally just come in with the script saying torticollis. Gotcha. And so then what is the role of the PT then communicating back to the doctor? You just communicate this in your evaluation and we send it back? Is that how you Yeah, call? and oftentimes, I mean, feeling the sutures, that's the easy one to know if they're open or closed. Mm-hmm. But there's other types like vertebral, which mm-hmm. is bony, which if you have fused bones with the tilt, then it's going to be really hard to fix because it's a bony issue. Gotcha. There's also another issue with the eye, so ocular torticollis. And with those, I feel like it's more so going to be throughout the treatment that you figure out, oh, they're not getting better. Like, why is their tilt not getting better? I'm doing all these stretching. I'm doing all these strengthening activities and nothing's changing. So that's when it's really good to have this information because it Mm. could be a bony issue. And then you might want to refer them out to get an x-ray to see if that's the cause. Or with ocular, that's Mm. not seen until six months of age. So then it's really looking for that underlying cause to treat it. Okay, well, hold on. I've got questions about that. So let me move up to this plagiocephaly with stenosis. So this, when you say, does that always require surgery? For the most part, yes. Just because the suture's closed, so it's building up a lot of pressure. I haven't had a kid with that yet. But you know what to look for. And so then that changes your plan of care. This plan of care would look very different than the plan of care for the child with plagiocephaly without stenosis. Right. All right, and I know you discussed already the vertebral anomalies, and I'm saying that right, vertebral? So for a child with this type of torticollis or a torticollis associated with this, then tell me about that one more time. I know you said it already, but say it one Mm -hmm. more time. So the vertebral anomaly is a bony issue, and that's when any of the cervical vertebrae are fused together, Mm -hmm. and then that can result in scoliosis and a head tilt. So again, you're getting this head tilt and you're stretching and you're strengthening and nothing's getting better, but it's because of the way that the bones are formed together and that's Mm. impacted the muscle attachment. Would you see this in like a really young baby or is this going to be like a little bit older child that you would see this in or older baby? I think it just depends Mm -hmm. just on how the bones form. 
Would you see a child with scoliosis that little as a baby or is that like later? I think you can still see it when they're a baby. I know one of our therapists here had a baby with torticollis and scoliosis together. Mm, Gotcha. So so associated defects could be anomalies of the kidneys, ribs, cleft palate, respiratory problems, and heart malformation. Mm. So again, if you're talking to the parents about the history and you're getting a lot of like red flags with organs and ribs and things like that, then you might want to look into this one. Gotcha. And this one's identified by x-ray. So if you suspected this in a baby with torticollis, then you would refer back to the pediatrician for an x-ray maybe to confirm it? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's recommended that kids with torticollis that they get an x-ray of their cervical spine just to kind of rule things out. Mm -hmm. But one article that was presented said that there was limited value in that. So it's kind of like your professional judgment. So if you're seeing all these red flags, then you might want to refer them. Mm-hmm. I guess when in doubt. I mean, an x-ray is a pretty non-invasive type of procedure, and I guess to be on the safe side, you don't want to recommend it too often, I wouldn't think. But, you know, if you were better safe than sorry, I'm not sure what your personal feelings are, but I guess that's my opinion. You're the guest on the podcast. I should ask, what are your thoughts, Samantha? <laughs> <laughs> well, I agree with you. I feel like x-rays are non-invasive, so it doesn't hurt. But again, you don't want to overuse them if mm. it's not necessary. So mm-hmm. I think that if there's red flags, then that would be the appropriate time. Gotcha. I'm with you. Okay. And then now can you talk to us about the ocular torticollis? So ocular torticollis, that commonly is paralysis of the superior oblique muscle, Mm. which turns your eye down and out. And this results in a head tilt as a secondary cause of it, just because they're trying to keep their head in midline. So they're tilting their head to kind of refocus. The key thing with this one is that it's not likely before six months of age because their eye muscles are still developing. So that's a key component to this one. And a test that you can do to look for ocular torticollis is the sit-up test. Mm. And this is where you look at the degree of the tilt in supine and sitting. And if the tilt resolves in supine, that means it's ocular just because their eye muscles don't have to go against gravity. So it kind of levels back out. So that's the test that you can do. So if you have a kid that's having problems with tracking your convergence, this mm-hmm. is something that you want to look into. Ah, so they presented with torticollis and they were having trouble with tracking and convergence. And if they failed that test you did, that would be a, yes. all red flags mm-hmm. to this. So the eye problem in this case results in the torticollis. Gotcha. Hmm. I wonder what their vision is like for a baby with this kind of issue. I don't know how they would present, like if they would have a vision loss or a vision field loss, or if they'd only be able to see in certain planes, I guess so. If they have deficits in their superior oblique muscle, they probably Mm -hmm. have a vision field loss. That's why they're tilting their head a certain way. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. It just took me a minute to talk through that. Got it. That is so interesting though, Samantha, that there could be this many types. I know. So just because a kid comes up with torticollis doesn't just mean it's a tight muscle. There could be something that contributed to that tight muscle that you have to treat first. Wow. Yeah, definitely. Sheesh. So now we're up to five Mm -hmm. or four. And then there's benign paroxysmal torticollis. Mm -hmm. And that's just when a kid comes in with a different tilt in different sessions. So they don't present consistently one Mm -hmm. way versus the other. And this is where you really want to look into the history questions. Ah. So seeing if there's a history of vestibular problems or a history of migraines. Kids with migraines, they prefer to tilt their head to one side because that's a position of relief and comfort. And also a really big one is seeing if the parent is on Reglan, which is a medication Ah. that's prescribed for severe GERD. Mm-hmm. And a side effect of that medication is torticollis. And really? it can be transferred to the baby through breastfeeding. So that's 
an important history question to ask. What if the baby's on Reglan? Because I know a lot of our little babies, especially those babies who are born prematurely, they'll prescribe Reglan to help with the reflux. Mm-hmm. Same thing. It could result to the torticollis since it's a side effect. Hmm. Wow. I tell you what, reflux can cause so many various problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's another podcast for another day. But anyway, yeah. just add torticollis to the list. And I had no idea. Man, that is interesting. Huh. So, of course, with all of this, you're going to get a good medical history and a good family history. But I guess if you suspect this benign, say it again, paroxymal, paroxymal torticollis, then you'd have to really dig a little deeper for the family history and that kind of thing. Maybe more than just the patient's birth history. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Now we have five. And as I understand it, um, there are actually six. So what's Mm -hmm. number six? Idiopathic muscular torticollis, mm. and this is congenital torticollis, mm-hmm. so this is going to be your tight muscle. Mm. could be caused by fetal positioning, birth trauma, or a vascular injury to the sternocleidomastoid, mm. and you often see plagiocephaly with it, which is the flattening of the head, gotcha. so it's important to treat both of them, and this one is seen one to two weeks after birth, and you'll often feel that the sternocleidomastoid has a band or is tumorous, and you can feel how tight it is. Gotcha. And also the trapezius muscle could also be impacted and be really tight too. Mm. Do you see this more in twins? I just wondered if that would cause some strange fetal position or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it could. I actually have a pair of twins now. One of them had torticollis, the other did not. Hmm. So I just wondered like if you saw a higher oh. incident in twins or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tight space could definitely lead to it. Yeah, because I would think there's only so much space in there. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's fighting for their area, even before birth, <laughs> even before birth. Okay. So for these babies, it's really a positioning type of, of issue, right? Yes. So this is the positioning, the stretching, and the strengthening mm-hmm. components that you need to treat it. Gotcha. So this is pretty much what all the others could contribute, except mm-hmm. this would just be your only problem. Okay. So really this, yeah, it does. So this can also be worked out through positioning and like you said, strengthening and stretching. Got it. Got Mm -hmm. it. Okay. So now you've assessed, you determined, I guess, what type of torticollis the baby has. Then like we've already sort of alluded to, then there's various ways you treat based on the different type. Yes. How long would it take you to assess the different type? Could you do it in one assessment or do you need a couple? You probably need a couple to kind of see how your treatment session is going. Mm -hmm. In the course, there was a treatment algorithm that was discussed to us. Mm -hmm. So you want to try PT for six to eight weeks, and then you want to reevaluate them. And if they're improving, then you want to continue with physical therapy six to eight more weeks. And if they're not improving, then you want to see if it's an eye issue or a neurological issue. And that's when you would kind of talk to the pediatrician and see what they recommend or what they have found in the history as well. Gotcha. If there's a persistent head tilt with a tight band, then you want to consider surgery at two to three years old because it's just a really tight muscle that just needs to be stretched and be relaxed. So that's where the surgery comes in. Gotcha. If they have a head tilt and everything else is negative, all the medical workup is clear, then that's when you want to look for the x-ray because then that could be the bony issue. Mm -hmm. So if you still have this tilt and nothing is getting better with your stretching and your strengthening, then it could be that bony issue. So after you evaluate a child, you already said it a little bit, but um, after you evaluate a child and determine your plan of care and that kind of thing, then how often do you see them per week? Does it depend on the type of torticollis you think 
it is or is there a sort of a set? You just go on how the child presents. We like to see babies as much as we can early on because Mm -hmm. the earlier a child comes in and the more therapy they receive at the beginning, the better the outcome. Mm -hmm. And so I see my babies at least once a week. Um, if not twice a week, Mm -hmm. but it all depends. And then as they get better and the progress is made, then we can drop down the frequency. So really then this could be a situation where you'd even see them three times maybe, which just sounds a little bit excessive to us, especially where PT is concerned. But for some babies, it might not be inappropriate at all Mm because then sort of more at first and then less later. Yeah. Yes. And again, with torticollis, if there's a more severe underlying issue, Mm -hmm. then that's the issue that needs to be taken care of. So if it's an eye Mm -hmm. issue, then they need to go to the ophthalmologist and get that checked out. And then hopefully that will resolve the torticollis. Gotcha. I'm with you on that one. Okay. So Samantha, basically at this point, we've talked about the various types of torticollis. So before we actually get into the evaluation part, which actually is going to be part two for people who are listening. So like tune in next time because it's just too long for one podcast. But I had no idea there were this many types of torticollis. Did you? I didn't know either. And it definitely wasn't taught to me in school. Hmm. I just knew that it was a tight muscle and that's as far as it went. I didn't know that there were so many underlying factors that could contribute to torticollis. This is fascinating. I agree. I've observed torticollis evaluations and treatments for most of my career. And I've worked with physical therapists and OTs who have evaluated and treated kids with torticollis, but I've never heard this. I feel like, oh my gosh, where has this been all my life? So you learned all this from the class that you went to. Yes. So if somebody is listening to this and they're like, man, I'd like to go to that class. What was the name of it? It's called Getting the Picture, Mm -hmm. Assessing and Treating Common Pediatric Patients. And the speaker again was? Michelle Linehan. Okay. And that'll be on our show notes as well. If there's a link to that class or whatever, we'll make sure we'll put that on the show notes. But for sure, the title of the class and that presenter's name will be on there. So if somebody's listening and they would like to get more information and take the whole full class, then that information will be there. Just check out the show notes on www.theworkingtherapist.com or at our website, pediatricdt.com. There's a way to link over to the podcast. So check all that out there and that gives people more information. But I think this is fabulous. And so the next step would be in part two of this podcast, the evaluation and then some treatment ideas and stuff like that. But actually how to evaluate a child with torticollis knowing that there's these various types. Yes. Okay. So Samantha, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yes, of course. Thank you so much. You did a fantastic job of describing the different types. It's so clear and I learned a ton. So again, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. And information about the six types of torticollis will be in the show notes on our website at theworkingtherapist.com. So check that out. Like I said, you can get it at theworkingtherapist.com or you could go to www.pediatricdt.com and there's a link over to the podcast there as well. So if you want this information in writing, check out the show notes. Next time, Samantha is going to go over with us how to do the evaluation for a child with torticollis and she'll also go over some different treatment ideas. So check out part two of this podcast and we'll just further this discussion. It was great. So thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com.